Lord God, again, we come before you right now to, to, in thankfulness um, that you've brought us here to, to hear your word, Lord. Again, I know that you've purposed everyone to be here to hear this message, Lord. Um, there is no coincidence with you. Um, I pray right now that whatever hardness, whatever, um, whatever's going on in our lives, Lord, um, that's making it difficult to hear your word, that that may all just fade away. May we just concentrate on what it is that you want to teach us and show us this morning, Lord. Lord, let us not focus on the problems, on the, the issues, the circumstances we're in, Lord. Um, let us just again, focus on you, focus on what it is that you want to speak to us about, Lord. We want our hearts to be a soft soil so that your word may be, be implanted deeply into our hearts. We thank you and we adore you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So Mark chapter 14, and we're going to begin in verse 12. Mark chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread... When they, sac when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that, we, so that you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, Where is the guest room for me to eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So the now, the, now the time has come to celebrate the Passover. And just as it was customary for the disciples of any rabbi to serve his needs, the disciples of Jesus now carried out that same function. But then um, what we do know also is that Jesus picked two of his disciples to carry out some specific instructions. Luke 22 mentions that these two disciples were Peter and John. Now Jesus' first set of instructions were, Go into the city, and a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him. Now, it's important to keep in mind that in Jerusalem, during the Passover, it was packed. It was completely packed with people. We're talking about, um, if you've ever been to Disneyland, where there's just like thousands and thousands of people, where you can hardly get on any ride, and you're standing in line for, for an hour, two hours, three hours. Um, we're talking about hundreds, possibly millions of people there. It was packed. Not just, and this is people from not just sur the surrounding areas, but from the entire region as well. So when Jesus sends these two disciples to the city, you would, you would imagine that it might be a little overwhelming, especially to carry out some specific tests. Now Jesus' instructions were to keep their eyes open for something that would have obviously stood out to them. A man carrying a jug, jug of water. You see, during this time, and during the Passover, the only people that carried water in the city for the Passover were the women. 
The men weren't carrying these jugs of water. They, were, they had other tasks, they had other responsibilities, but the responsibilities to carry these jugs of water were the women. So seeing a man carrying water would have been a clear distinctive sign to the two disciples. Now upon meeting this man, they were told to follow him wherever he led them. Once there, um, they, Jesus told them their next set of instructions they were to follow. They were to ask the owner of the house. The teacher says, where is the guest room for me to eat the Passover with my disciples? Asking this question to the owner of the house without making prior arrangements would have also been uncustomary. Now Jesus could have stopped there and that, that could have been it. But he tells his two disciples in verse 15 what to expect. He says, he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. He then gives John Peter the last part of his instructions. Make preparations for us there. Now, without any indication of a problem, of a problem or modification to Jesus' instructions, everything happened as Jesus, says it, as Jesus said it would. Now, on that day, the disciples began to prepare the Passover meal. And as God, and as they were preparing this Passover meal, God was making final preparations to make Jesus our Passover lamb. Now, by this point, after having spent three years with Jesus, the disciples learned that when Jesus instructed them to do something, they did it. Regardless of how wild or how unusual, how crazy it may have sounded, they trusted him because time and time again, everything Jesus said happened. So when Peter and John received their instructions, they did it. They did it unquestionably. They didn't ask why. They didn't ask how come. They just did it. They did it because they trusted Jesus and believed he wouldn't send them on a hopeless mission. Jesus sent Peter and John because he knew they were capable of doing what he asked them to do. Similarly, if God asks you to do something for him, he knows that you're capable of doing it. You see, a good father, someone that's a good dad, wouldn't ask his child to do something that they aren't ready for or that they couldn't handle. And we have no better father than God Almighty, than our Father God. So when God does ask, keep in mind that He knows that you're able. He knows that you're capable of doing it. And He will never, he will never send you on a pointless or hopeless mission. But really it's up to you how you're gonna respond and the effort you make to do it. Now, for those of you who believe God has been instructing you to do something, to follow a path through, to, for in, in a calling or whatever it may be, I want you to pay attention to some of the verbs used in verses 13 to 15. Jesus begins by saying, go. If God is sending you, nothing in this world will be able to stop you. 
He then says, follow. Unless God is asking you to do something that no one else has ever done, look for and follow others going where you need to go or have been there already. Look for those that it just that you want to be a missionary, you want to just serve Christ, you want to be, you know, whatever it may be, whatever the Lord's calling you to do, look for those who have already had that experience. Look for those that are going in that same direction who have, may have that same calling. He may ask you to partner up with somebody or, or just, you know, again, talk to somebody that maybe has experienced what it's like to do what it is that you're being called to do. Jesus next says, tell. When you get there, boldly tell others what the teacher says and the purpose for him sending you. Share the word. Share the word of, the, the word of God. Share the words of Jesus the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's just telling people why it is that you're there and why it is that you've been called to it. How do you know you've been called to it? What it is that you, uh, that you feel the Lord is, is, is wanting you to accomplish. Just tell people. Tell others. And finally, Jesus says, Make. Make disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. Prepare them for His coming. Go. Go tell others. Make disciples. That's one of our main callings as Christians is make other Christians. Tell others about me. Whether it's through word, through action, through your lives, whatever it is, tell others about me. Make other disciples. Prepare other people for His coming. Now let's continue on to uh, verse 17. Verse 17, chapter 14. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus says, I assure you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one by one, surely not I. Then he said to them, It is the one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. That evening, as the twelve disciples celebrated the Passover meal together with Jesus, what initially appeared to be a festive occasion quickly changed. Little did they know that it would be the last time all 12 disciples would be together. And they certainly, they certainly weren't aware of the events that were about to take place in just a few short hours. So as they were having a good time, Jesus spoke up and said, I assure you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. That shocking prophetic revelation quickly changed the mood from that of thanksgiving and worship to, to a concern of their own possible involvement. One by one, the disciples were asking Jesus, surely not I, 
Surely not I, Lord. They were thinking, how am I involved in this? What are you talking about, Jesus? Am I part of this betrayal? What are you, what are you saying? Now, the way Mark records it, Jesus only reveals two clues to who his betrayer was. The first clue was that it was going to be one of the 12 main disciples. And the second was that it was going to be someone he considered a close personal friend, someone that he loved. When Jesus said, the one who is dipping bread with me in the bowl, he wasn't necessarily pointing out Jesus. He, I mean, Judas. He wasn't necessarily saying, hey, the guy that's dipping the bowl, that's him. But you see, that night, as they were all celebrating the Passover, every one of the disciples were dipping, was dipping bread with him. He was using this phrase to identify the, the betrayer as a friend who he invited to eat with him, someone that was intimate with him, someone he had spent time with, someone that he loved. He then begins to inform them in verse 21 of his awareness regarding the messianic prophecies and how he was destined to be betrayed. It was Jesus' way of telling them that everything was happening according to God's plan, which had been ordained from the beginning of time. And that plan, yes, as hard as it is and as, as crazy it is, included his betrayer, Judas Iscariot. Now when Jesus said, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, he wasn't saying that he wished Judas would never have been born. Rather, brokenheartedly, he was saying it would have been better for Judas to not have been born. I also believe that this was, that in this warning, we see Jesus' profound love for Judas. This was Jesus' way of telling him that this was his last opportunity to turn back from his evil plot. You see, Jesus never stopped loving Judas. It was Judas who rejected Jesus' love. And as I mentioned, each one of the four Gospels has a different way, that every, has a different ways of every, how everything went down during that tense moment. But they all essentially said the same thing, that Judas was the one Jesus was speaking about. Now, according to John chapter 13, verses 26 and 30, once Judas realized that Jesus knew that it was him, it says that he left at once, leaving Jesus there with his 11 disciples. Last week, we talked about Judas and how his, how his deal to betray Jesus to the religious leaders wasn't a spontaneous decision. It wasn't something he just came up all of a sudden and said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to betray Jesus today and, and, and I'm going to go talk to the religious leaders and, and make a deal with him. No, it, his heart began to change long before that and the deal was just a product of the sin that he, kept, that he secretly kept inside. What we see in these verses is confirmation that Jesus was aware of Judas's intentions and his, his expectation of it. And although he knew how Judas felt about him and what he was about to do, Jesus still absolutely loved him. Now this is the hard part, and I know this, is, this may be difficult, but loving someone who's betrayed you is one of the most challenging things to do. It's challenging because 
betrayal destroys the foundation of trust. I read a quote that said, the saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. It comes from friends and loved ones. It's challenging because part of you wants to make the other person physically and emotionally bleed as much as they've made you bleed. Yet there's another part of you that may be telling you to continue to love them and leave it to God to discipline and punish the offender as he sees fit. It's challenging because it's more natural to feel hatred and bitterness towards someone who's betrayed you than letting go and loving them. Now, I know from experience, I I know and I speak from experience, I know what this is like. A lot of, maybe some of you know what it's like to feel betrayed by someone you care about, by someone you love. And if there's anybody that understands, it's Jesus. And some of you may, may never have experienced it yet, but one day you may. I hope it never happens, but it really is a horrible feeling. And it just crushes you, especially when it's someone that you really, really love and someone you really, really care about. But despite that pain, despite what you're feeling and what you're going through, you can overcome betrayal by responding to it in these five ways. The first way, look to Jesus and cry out to him. Get on your knees and just cry out to Jesus. This hurts, Lord. This is painful. This, my heart is crushed. He, he will hear you. He understands you. He knows what's going on. You have a Savior who understands the reality of betrayal. When King David was was betrayed by a close friend, he cried out in Psalm 55, verses 16 and 17, "But But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. I complain and groan morning, noon, and night, and He hears my voice. He hears you. The Lord hears you when you cry out to Him. What parent would just ignore their child when they're crying out in pain. I know I wouldn't. And I know for sure God wouldn't. Second thing, don't let hatred and bitterness consume you. Resist the temptation to repay abuse, the abuse of betrayal with other forms of abuse. The NIV, the NIV puts Proverbs 20, 22 this way. Don't say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. See, whatever consumes you, whatever consumes your heart, whatever consumes your mind, it's going to come out. It's just going to be revealed in the way you act, in the way you think, in the way you talk. It's like a cancer. That anger, that bitterness is a cancer. And if you don't kill it, if you don't destroy it, if you don't get, chop it off, it's just going to continue to spread. Don't let that anger and bitterness consume you. Number three, 
Continue to do what God has called you to do. Judas' betrayal didn't hinder Jesus from continuing God's plan and purpose for him. He didn't say, oh, Judas is about to betray me. You know what? Forget this. We'll postpone this crucifixion. We'll postpone this trial. We'll postpone. Well, we'll, we'll, I need to get over this feeling. I need to get over these thoughts. Um, No. What do you, you know, one of the other Gospels, he said, Jesus said, do what you got to do, Judas. And Jesus just continued to do what God called him to do. He, he understood his plan and purpose. And nothing was going to stop him. Nothing was going to stop Jesus. Paul said this in Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Number four, respond with kindness and graciousness. Now this is probably the hardest one. This is probably the the, the one that you just... You feel like, oh, how can I be kind and gracious to someone who just crushed me? You have to be careful with this one. Because if, if it's not done with sincerity, it'll only be a matter of time before the bitterness of your heart becomes apparent. Before you start to become the hypocrite and say and, and talk a, a good game but not live it. In First Peter 3.9, 1 Peter 3.9 tells us, Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so you can inherit a blessing. And number five, keep your betrayer or that person who hurt you in constant prayer. When you do this, God begins to soften your own heart, the hardness of your own heart, the hardness of anger, bitterness, um, whatever it is, that stuff that just those feelings that are just hardening your heart towards seeing that person with the eyes of Jesus. When you pray often and when you pray consistently for that person, it softens your heart. And when your heart is, is softened, when it's soft enough, God will replace your pain and resentment with the peace of the Holy Spirit. Again, betrayal is difficult. It's one of those hard subjects, but if anyone understands, it's Jesus. And you should feel comfortable. You should know that you can cry out to Him. He knows more than anyone what it feels like. And if you believe that he's real, if you believe that he was, he is God and that he will heal you and that he does things in a powerful way, trust him, go to him, just fall on your knees to him. Verse 26, let's continue on with verse 20, 20 I'm sorry, verse 22. This, is, this will be our last section here. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed it and broke it, gave it to them and said, take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and afterward, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. 
And so they all drank it, drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many. I assure you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way, in the kingdom of God. After singing psalms, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now in verses 22 to 26, Jesus institute, institutes the church ordinance of the Lord's Supper, or what we commonly refer to as communion. That night as they ate, Jesus took some of the unleavened bread, or the matzah, blessed it, broke it, and distributed it, saying, take it. This is my body. Now, I agree with the majority of scholars who believe Jesus was using this bread and wine in the same symbolic way the other elements of the Passover meal were represented. So when Jesus held up these elements and declared they were his body and blood, none of the listeners there would have expected it to refer to a mystical transformation. Rather, they would have understood it to mean a symbolic representation of Jesus' body and blood. Now, according to Jewish tradition of the Mishnah, there were certain guidelines and instructions as to how the Passover was to be observed. There's a section in there when it, the, the, regarding the wine. If you've ever been to a Seder dinner, you may know what I'm talking about. Now, during that Seder dinner, during that Passover meal, everyone was to enjoy four cups of wine at different points of the meal, corresponding to the different promises of God in Exodus chapter 6. The third cup was referred to as a cup of blessing. And I believe this is the cup that Jesus passed around and was mentioning here in his passage. It was at this point that we're told that he blessed it, passed it to them, and they drank from it. He then says something interesting about this wine. He says, this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many. If you guys know what a covenant is, or if you don't know what a covenant is, it's a sacred arrangement between God and a person or a group of persons or a group of people. Now, no plain person, no ordinary person could ever institute a new covenant between God and man. But because Jesus was God, he had the authority to establish a new covenant, which was sealed with his blood. The focus of this new covenant, covenant is the inner transformation resulting from the forgiveness of sins. This inner transformation, this inner transformation is that which uh, that occurs, is described in Jeremiah 31:33. There it says, I will put my teaching within them and write it in their hearts. This is what that transformation looks like. Jesus then ends the Passover meal by making a promise. Now I want, you, I want to read to you Matthew's account of what that promise is. In Matthew 26, 29, Jesus said, But I tell you, from this moment, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day I drink it anew, or drink it new, in a new way, in my Father's kingdom with you. Jesus made a promise. And I absolutely, because I love Jesus' promise. I know that he's going to fulfill his promises. He has fulfilled them in the past, 
He's fulfilled them in, hum in, in humanity's case, in prophecy, and He's fulfilled them in my life. And I know that when He says, when He makes a promise, He's going to fulfill it. So, I mean, every time I think about this, again, it brings me great joy. But Jesus made a promise that He wouldn't have another Passover meal until all His people were gathered to Him in heaven. At that moment, all believers will be at God's table for a great supper. If you want to know more about that supper, supper it's talked about in detail in Revelation 19.9. But it, there, that supper is referred to as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Our passage ends this, mor this morning by describing how they sang a few worship songs and afterwards Jesus and the disciples began, their make the, began to make their way to the Mount of Olives. Let me ask you again a question. Whenever you accept an invitation to a friend's house for dinner, do you ever expect for that friend not to be there? What, what would go through your mind if you showed up to your friend's house after having been invited to their house and he wasn't there? Or let me put it another way. What if everybody, his family was all there and you were sitting at the dinner table and your friend wasn't there? It would, I think it would be odd, right? I think it would just be strange. Like, well, this, my friend invited me and he's not here now. Like, you know, I, I think you would expect, I think anybody would expect their, your, their friend to be there because they want, because they invited you. That means they wanted you to be there at their house to eat with them. And that's what communion is. Communion is Jesus' invitation to dine with him. So when, when he invites us to his table, he invites us to intimacy. He invites us to feed on him, to be nurtured by him, and to be strengthened by him. Now, once you've accepted that invitation, 1 Corinthians 23:28 gives us three ways we ought, to, we ought to come to the communion table. Now, I want to read to you real quickly what it says there in 1 Corinthians. It's what I usually read when, when we do communion here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, in, starting in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28 so a man should examine himself in this way in this way he should eat the bread and drink from the cup again the i'm going to give you three ways that we ought to come that this passage here teaches us how we ought to come to the communion table we ought to come to number one we ought to come to the communion table in remembrance of what christ has done we must remember what christ has accomplished for us the price he paid to forgive us our sins and how much He loves us. 
We ought to come to the communion table looking forward to what's ahead. To, we ought to look forward to what's going to happen soon. And G- Jesus Christ promised that he will come back, not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king. Now, number three, we ought to come to the communion table after conducting an honest evaluation, an honest examination of our own hearts. We need to look within and ask the Holy Spirit to show us those areas in your life that God doesn't like. When you realize what they are, the next step is to repent from those sins. Now, it's important to keep in mind that when it comes to the bread and cup, what you do with them matters just as much as their meaning. Jesus says, take. You have to want to receive it. It's up to you whether, whether you decide to reject it or to receive it, to accept it or reject it. And when Jesus says, eat, drink, he is informing you that it's vital for you. He's telling you, here, have this food, drink this. He's telling you, you need to have it. We all know that our bodies won't survive long without food and water. Jesus wants you to know that without him, you will also perish. Now, as I conclude, our passage about the Last Supper reveals to us these three things. The importance of trusting Jesus Christ when he calls us to do something. Number two, that he completely sympathizes with us when we are betrayed by someone we love. And lastly, the intimacy he offers when we accept his invitation to his communion table. You have a savior. You have a savior in Jesus you can trust and is able to sympathize and wants you to have an intimate relationship with you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He doesn't want you to be angry. He doesn't want you to be bitter. He wants you to completely distrust him and see him and allow him just to, to change your heart, change your perspective, change the way you live life. He wants to do that with you. He wants to have that fellowship. But when you allow these thoughts, these emotions, these feelings to creep in, it breaks that unity. It breaks that bond. It breaks that sin that lies within you, begins to cause a chasm between you and the Lord. And this is one of the things that happened with Judas. Even before he betrayed Jesus, there's something, something happened in his heart where he just allowed frustration, anger to come into him. If you remember in one of, our, in one of the other Gospels, Jesus, Judas was stealing money from the money bag. Now, if he really loved Jesus, if he really trusted and respected him, he wouldn't have done that. But again, something happened within him and eventually it spilled out with his betrayal. Again, we have a savior you can trust, sympathize, and wants to have an intimate relationship. If you've never had that, if you're watching, listening, 
And if you've never had that and want to receive it, or if you've been far from it and want to have it back, I will lead you in a prayer in a minute and, and we will pray together. Just gotta ask the Lord sincerely to rescue you. So please close your eyes, bow your heads in prayer as we close up here. Lord, you've showed us through your word today, Lord, what it means to trust you, what it means to be totally dependent on you, Lord. Lord, I pray for those that are hurting, Lord. May they look to you. May they surrender that pain to you. May they find that joy and happiness in you again, Lord. Show them, Lord. Encourage them. Bless them, Lord. And for those of you that want that and just have never received Jesus in your heart and you've never and you, you just want to let go of this stuff and you realize now that the only way to do that is, just give it, is by giving it to Jesus. Just pray this in your heart as well. Lord God, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are God and that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you did that for me and that my sins have been, my past, present, future sins have been placed upon you, Lord. I believe that you've forgiven me and I thank you for that. And I ask that you just fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit so that I may live with you so that your light may shine through me, Lord. Use me in, in, in whatever way you want and, and just I'm willing to follow, Lord. Thank you. Lord, I pray that these words that we read today, the message today, will just stick with us for the rest of our lives, Lord. Even when we're down in the, in, in the dumps and we're just, we're just emotionally broken by people, by situations, circumstances, may we just look up and see you. May we just reach out, Lord, knowing that your, your arm your hand of love, of mercy and grace will always be there to bring us up, Lord, to hold us up, to stand us back up. Lord, bless the rest of this day. Bless this time. Bless this week, Lord. We adore you. We praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. <laughs>